Greetings in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is such a joy and pleasure to share the word of God with you uh, in this fashion again. Um, this is the 10th message in the series called Foundations. Uh, this can go forever, right? This, because every talk, topic can be a series by itself, as I told earlier. For example, tr take... Take try and dance. We can stay on that for five weeks uh, by itself. Incarnation can go into uh, months together. And cross again. We can grow go months together. Uh, but the agenda is not to give you all the details, um, but to give you an overview. Right. That's why uh, I'm finishing it. Uh, so this would be the last in this series. So I would like to sum up the whole thing and give you a, a top of the box picture. But if you want to know in detail, if you want to get your doubts clarified, uh, please do register for this five-day course that we are doing uh, on Trinitarian faith in English. It's going to be in English. Uh, the English course is going to be from December 7th to 11th. Uh, in Tamil, it's going to be from November uh, last week. So the details will be there. Please do register. Um, we are taking only very limited seats. Uh, I don't, I'm not looking for a crowd. I'm, this is not a conference. I'm not going to take in hundreds. I'm going to just take just a handful uh, and sit and chat things through so that you're having clarity uh, in what we are saying. And uh, uh, you should have heard all the 10 messages uh, before attending the five-day course. That's a must. You know, all the foundations, 10, see, uh, uh, you can go to the playlist uh, of foundations and see everything lined up one after the other. In that order, you have to listen. Uh, from Sermon 1, Truth of All Truths, till this message. So 10 messages in total. I want you guys to listen. Um, see, I've been saying the lens that we use is so important. What lens are we uh, using to understand things? Um, where is our starting point? And where do we start? Where do we begin our conversation uh, about anything for that matter? So do we begin with us as the center or do we begin with God? So if we have to begin with God, where do we begin with? You know, do we begin with Genesis? Do we begin with Moses' revelation, Abraham's revelation? Who? Who is going to be our starting point of conversation about who God is? So that's where the import importance of incarnation comes into picture. Uh, God who is invisible became visible in the person of Jesus and who is the exact representation of the Father. And we begin our conversation there. Uh, and the then he gives us the uh, pre-creation purpose, right? So I have spoken about divine adoption, right? This is my first book. Uh, and this talks about the pre-creation purpose. Many have wrongly understood the word adoption, uh, thinking, uh, taking somebody who does not belong to the family and making them part of the family through a legal process. That's how we understand adoption. But the Bible does not use the word adoption in that sense. Uh, it totally uses in a different uh, cultural context. And I'm uh, talking about that. And uh, so if you have not got this book, I would really encourage you to get this book. It's it's an Amazon. Uh, it's also in Kindle. Um, so I'm going to read a few things. Uh, basically, this I've just put a lot of verses there. And in between, I have written something explaining the verses. It's more like commentary on certain uh, passages of scripture, not exactly a book book written. Um, so let me read a few things. 
um, because I'm trying to give you an overall picture today to bring the series to an end. Uh, in why I'm doing what I'm doing right now is so that you get an understand about, understanding about the pre-creation purpose. So God's, in, uh, God's incarnation, act of incarnation, uh, the death, burial and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, everything, everything, right? Holy Spirit being poured, uh, whatever you're saying, uh, you know, second coming, whatever parts of theology, right? Is all connected to the why of creation, which is the pre-creation purpose before he created anything, what was in the mind of God, right? So let's uh, read from Ephesians chapter 1 verse uh, chapter 1 verse 4 to 5 i'm reading it from uh, uh, page 41 of my book divine adoption just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption there you have it right having predestined us to adoption as sons by jesus christ to himself so predestination is about adoption I have dealt all these things in detail in other messages. If you have been following us, uh, there is a series called Divine Adoption. You know, you can go and find these in the playlist in YouTube, uh, a series of messages that I've taught uh, in detail. So the message version of that passage is very wonderful. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 and 4 in the message. How blessed is God and what a blessing he is. He is the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. My goodness, you are not an afterthought. God did not create heavens. God did not create earth. And then he didn't know what to do. Oh, let us create man. That's not how it goes. Yes, he created heavens first, uh, then the earth, and then he put man there. That's how sequential it came. But purpose-wise, that is not how it works. It is like this. Um, you know, you don't buy a crib, you don't buy toys, and then you're like, oh, we've got a uh, lot of toys, uh, we've got a crib. Uh, we have got these things. So we need to have a baby. Of course, the, you know, the crib and the toys and, you know, preparing the house might have happened before the baby arrived. But all those changes took place in your house because your purpose to bring the baby in. So your, your purpose predates what you're doing. So the purpose is you. He had you and me in mind. Therefore, he created whatever he created. Wow. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The uncreated reality. The other-centered love, the triune dance, the perichorotic love. Where he had us in mind and had settled on us as the focus of his love my goodness you are the focus of the triune god's love the father the son and the holy spirit and you are the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love long long ago he decided to adopt us into his family through jesus christ what pleasure he took in planning this he wanted us to enter into the celebration. He wanted us to enter into the celebration. You know, many people are asking, oh, where is triune dance in the Bible? It might not have the word triune dance, but the, but the picture is very much there. What pleasure he took in planning this. He, can you imagine the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit just enjoying each other and boom, you know, all three of them, right? Uh, but one being, they're like, my goodness, we have to create mankind 
he had us in mind. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. So there itself you have the purpose, right? Through Jesus Christ, triune God wanted to lavish upon mankind what belongs to God alone. My goodness. The Zoe life, the perichorotic life, the eternal life, the immortal life, the divine nature. These things belong to God alone. God alone possesses immortality. God alone possesses Zoe life. God alone possesses eternal life. This is, this is God's stuff. And they wanted to lavishly give, gift mankind all these things by the hand of his beloved son. I'm reading it from verse 8, verse eight to 12 in the message. He thought of everything. He thought of everything. The father God thought of everything. Provided for everything we could possibly need. My goodness. See, since we don't know this father and we are trying to deal with God, okay, you know, see, we, we think we need to know the formulas and principles and step five, step three, step two to get this God to answer, to meet your need. But this father has already, you know, what does it say? He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. Look at the word delight, celebration, pleasure. These are the words, celebration, lavish gift giving. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. There you have it. There you have incarnation. These are all pre-creation purposes, right? In pre-creation purpose, everything would be summed up in Christ is a pre-creation purpose. It's not a result of the fall. Not because Adam sinned that God thought, okay, Christ would be the head and everything would be summed up in him, would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet earth. It is in Christ. Look at that line. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. He not only reveals the father to us, he also reveals us to us. He not only reveals the Father to us, He reveals human. What is to be a human to us? We neither know the Father nor we know what is to be a human. Because we lost the point of reference, we are so confused. So in Christ, we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, He had His eye on us. See, you should understand this thing. This one line makes the whole, it takes the whole evangelical gospel and puts it down the drain. The evangelical gospel says, so this God is super angry, right? He's super angry. Then he poured out his wrath on Jesus. And then you need to believe. You need to put your faith in what Christ has done. And when you do that, then this God stops seeing you as an enemy, as an outsider, as an object of wrath, and then puts you on the other side. So basically what happens is your faith, right? Your faith is so crucial and your faith changes how God sees you. But 
Biblical faith is not that. Biblical faith is rooted on the reality of what God the Father has already done for us in Christ Jesus even before we heard or believed or confessed or repented or did anything from our end. It is good news, not good prophecy. It's not what God will do if you believe. No, no, no. It is God, what God has done. When you hear that news, your heart is convinced and faith is a product of you listening to the gospel. Are you getting what I'm saying? That's what it says. See, it says, uh, long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, Long before we heard the gospel, long before we believed, long before we decided, we put our vote, we did anything. He had his eye on us and he had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. Come with me to Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 to 19 in the message. We look at the sun. And see the God who cannot be seen. We look at the sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. So when you look at Jesus, when you look at word becoming flesh, you know who the father is, you know who you are, and you find meaning to everything, to the stars, to the fish, to, 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 to everything that you do, do, to do carpentry, you know, to painting. Yeah. So this is my daughter painting, right? This is one of her earlier paintings that she did, you know. Um, uh, so painting and anything, what meaning does it have? Only when you see Christ, only when you see incarnation. Everything gets meaning. We find the meaning of everything. We find the purpose of everything. Because everything revolves around Him. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything God started in Him finds its purpose in Him. He was there before any of it came into existence. And he holds it all together right up to this moment. Okay. So he is the reason of existence. He is the purpose of everything. And he is holding all things together. In him all things consist. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together. Like a head does a body. So spacious is he. So roomy. That everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Christ is so roomy that everything of God, everything of creation, everything of mankind finds its proper place in him. Incarnation is a big deal. So I spoke to you about triune dance. I spoke to you about adoption, which is the manifestation of mature sons as the original purpose. So the triune dance and the manifestation of, of sons, how does, how does these two come together? It comes together through incarnation, through word becoming flesh, because Someone from the Trinity has to share with mankind what they alone possess. We cannot pull ourselves up and make ourselves partakers of what belongs to God alone. So from God, God from God has to become man to share what he has got. That's why incarnation is so important. So he should not lose who he is, at the same time, he has to reach where we are. Look at verse uh, chapter 2, verse 9, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. NLT says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. My goodness, that's crazy. For in Christ 
lives all the fullness of God. I did an entire series on the word fullness, right? Pleroma. Being filled with all the fullness. Listen to those messages. I think it comes in the spiritual warfare series, the first few messages. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. The Passion Translation says, For he is the complete fullness of deity living in human form. And Colossians 1.19 says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. See, this is so important. When word became flesh, that flesh did not become a hindrance for, for God's fullness to dwell in him. Are you getting what I am saying? The fullness of deity dwelled, dwell in bodily form, in human form. That's the miracle of incarnation and that's the center of our gospel. We miss this, we, we miss that, we miss everything. The fullness, the pleroma of Godhead dwells in bodily form in Christ Jesus, in human form. Because if that is not going to happen, we can never partake of who God is as long as we are human beings. See, that is what Greeks believed. Why Greeks had a problem with Jesus is because he became flesh. For them, God is out there. God is just far out there. And his interaction with matter is not direct. You know, there are a lot of layers. It's like, just imagine so many circles are there and God is out there and he rotates this circle and that circle rotates the other circle. And finally, you know, that comes and rotates the earth. In some way, that's how astrology and all comes into picture. The lining of the stars and everything and planets, you know, somehow controls us is because there is a God out there who doesn't want to deal with matter, but he is there doing things which has the whole effect on what's happening. And we have to look at the stars and the lining of the stars and planets so that we find the good time, the nice day, the right day to do the right thing. Are you getting what I'm saying? Because matter is bad. Flesh is bad. God cannot come in flesh. That's, that is Neoplatonism. That is Plato's religion. This goes against grain of all religions, right? The fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. And the flesh did not veil or restrict the fullness to dwell. But it became the context of expression of fullness. It did not restrict fullness, but it became the context of expression of fullness. Hebrews 1.3 in the Passion Translation says, Sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature, his mirror image. So he is the exact representation when he became flesh. So any thing with regard to nature, with regard to God's nature, with regard to God's will. So many people are confused about uh, sickness. Is it God's will to heal? Oh, is it God's will? Whenever you're confused about God's will, why? Because you have the story of Job, you have, uh, what do you say, you know, some Ephaphroditus, right? Paul left some fellow sick in some island. It, he, he says that when I left the island, he was sick. That doesn't mean he was sick forever, right? It just says when he left, he was sick. But let's, so we have these portion of scriptures, right? We take this, we take Job, we take that and that. And we say, oh, you know, it's, it's some, sometimes it's God's will to heal. Otherwise it's, uh, it's, it's God's will or it's God's skill, right? That's how many people are confused. Why? It's because we do not start with Jesus. When you look at Jesus, all the confusion goes. How many sick people did Jesus say, uh, I'm not sure. 
whether it's the father's will to heal you. Mm, I think the timing is wrong. I think you have some unconfessed sin in your life. Oh, you do not have enough faith. Or I'm teaching you a lesson through this cancer. I am teaching you patience. I am uh, forming Christ-like nature in you through this. Did he say any of the crap that we teach? No. No. Every single person who came to Jesus, okay, in the Bible, every single person who came to Jesus looking for healing got healed. Usually people say, oh, in Nazareth, uh, he was not able to heal many. No, 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 no. That's not what the Bible says. Greater works were not revealed in uh, Nazareth because of their unbelief, except he laid hands on people and healed. That meaning in every other place, wherever Jesus comes, the whole place gets crowded and crazy miracles used to happen. But in Nazareth, nobody showed up for the meeting. No one cared about Jesus. They're like, ah, Jesus, son of Joseph, ah, we know him. And they didn't even come. No greater works manifested, except whoever came, he laid hands and healed. So, Jesus has never said no to anyone's healing to whoever came. Whatever level of faith they were in, he always healed them and strengthened their faith. He always delivered people. He is the exact representation. He is the mirror image. He is the exact expression of God's true nature. So the more and more you have a look at Jesus, the more and more your confusion regarding God's will, regarding healing, regarding death, regarding natural calamity, all these things will go out if you have a good look at Jesus. Are you getting what I'm saying? Oh, God is judging through this uh, cyclone, this and that. Why do people talk about that? It's because people don't firmly stand on the revelation of who God is in the person of Jesus. They quote this scripture, they quote that scripture, but they do not go to the word of God. The word of God is Jesus. There are 101 revelation of who God is in scripture. And then you have the word of God, who is the exact representation of who God is. So the word trumps. Every other revelation of who God is in, within scripture itself. Yeah, it might be a blasphemous thought to many of you. But that's the truth. Otherwise, we don't need incarnation. A perfect book would have done the job. He is the sole expression of the glory of God. The light being, the outrain. I'm reading from the Amplified Hebrews 1.3. He is the sole expression of the glory of God. The light being, the outrain or radiance of the divine. And he is the perfect imprint and very image of God's nature, upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling the universe by his mighty word of power. See, he is the one who is holding all things together. He is not only the exact representation of the father. He is not only the exact representation of a human, who a human being is, but he is the reason of creation. By him, in him, through him and for him, all things were created. And he is holding all things together. So, just because he became flesh, that doesn't mean he stopped playing that role. He is still holding all things together. That means whatever happens to the flesh of Jesus, in the flesh, you know, he is holding all things together. So, whatever happens to Christ, happens to the entire creation. I was telling you, sin is brokenness sin is a is a twistedness see jesus says right i do only what i see the father do how he is a mirror image mirror image meaning what 
he is a reflection he is a true exact representation so he is at an angle always with the father so that he is re reflecting his image and mankind is designed to be like that but when he look just imagine he is a mirror and we are designed to we are a mirror and we are designed to reflect a particular image because we are the image of god right we are supposed to keep reflecting who god is to the creation but and we got the whole mirror got broken and twisted and now we are not even at an angle looking at the father we are looking somewhere else so we don't have a point of reference to be an image we become self referential are you getting what i'm telling that's the whole fall about when we become self referential our perception becomes our reality and we get twisted in the process and we can't relate to god we cannot relate to ourselves we cannot relate to others we cannot relate to creation we abuse every form of relationship we run after money sex and power mm, to get our identity you know a boost uh, we we are so confused because we have lost our point of reference and our heart becomes twisted and wounded in the whole process and a perfect book cannot reach this heart a perfect sermon cannot reach this heart even jesus coming and giving you a perfect sermon cannot reach this heart so what so what did jesus do so here is the thing the word who became flesh comes and he is not there to give us a perfect message right how did he untwist this twistedness not by giving a perfect message but by becoming us he entered into our darkness right he had to become us so that we can become him you know it might not be good english but it conveys the point he he became us so that we can become him are you getting what i'm telling so to what what is to become us he has to become sin it's not just action we have we are dead in sin meaning we have become sin it's it's not a doing problem it's a being problem for us so how did he untwist that twistedness at the core he got into the core he became us he became sin so whatever happens to him happens to entire creation because he is the one holding all things together and he found the father he found the father in our darkness he found the father in our darkness in our brokenness in our death in our cry he entered into this thing and 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 reconciled us reconciled us back to god god was not in need of reconciliation we were in need of reconciliation because we had turned our face we had lost the point of reference are you getting what i'm saying how did he do that how did he reach how did he reach this uh you know 
broken heart see the cross when i say the cross i want you to have um these images in mind okay this is a nose what you see this side is a nose and what you see this side is an electric chair uh i don't know how many of you have seen this uh movie called uh, just mercy it's a movie made out of real um, real story uh where uh, a young um advocate would take up cases of people on death row and he would investigate and when he finds discrepancies in the case and he goes to the bottom of the whole thing and finds out that many are wrongly accused uh and they are going to be executed uh a capital punishment and so that's that's the whole movie about it's a real real story and uh, in that they show this scene where prisoners are taken to this electric chair there you see this uh, whole cap kind of a thing that's a metal cap which is wired and you're strapped to the chair and bolts of electricity goes and you know people shake and and they die and and the burning of the flesh would come right the entire prison would be filled with the smoke of the flesh it's disgusting you know it's a very even to watch that in a movie is very disturbing it disturbs you for for days at least it did for me can you imagine the whole noose thing that we use in india for capital punishment so this is used in western countries uh in india we use a noose uh hang people to death ah uh, ah uh, hanging is a crazy thing can you imagine me gifting you a noose or an electric chair on your wedding day or anything or any special day me a tiny thing of electric chair or a noose if i come and give you how many of you go like wow tada so happy that you gave me an electric chair or you gave me a noose how many of you would do that <laughs> you would feel disgusted if i gift you an electric chair or a noose or if you come inside my house and you find a big picture or i take a big print out and frame this picture in the middle of my house and you come and sit in my living room just in front of my sofa is this picture how many of you would go like wow what an amazing picture right no what should what what kind of feeling will you have when you come and walk into my room and see like why the hell is he putting this picture in the middle of your house so when you look at the when you look at the cross if you do not get such a feeling then you have not really understood what the cross is all about so now we have made it into golden crucifix we have painted it gold we gift it we put it uh we carry it on our necks and uh, i'm not saying don't carry it don't put it on the neck or don't put it on your wedding day or anything like that do it fantastic but know what you're doing you should know what you're doing you know it is equal to just putting an electric chair or to put a noose or anything like that but why how that symbol got transformed and you should never lose the context why god chose that symbol you should never lose the context why god chose that instrument as crazy as it is the whole electric chair and the noose thing it is nothing in comparison to the cross you know 
people who are on the electric chair will die probably 2 minutes 2 minutes they're done not even 2 minutes same with news they're done that's it but the cross is designed so that you don't die immediately so that you experience the torture so that you experience the pain so that you experience the hatred that's why romans designed the cross why did romans design the cross romans designed the cross because roman empire was built okay keep these things in mind okay all these things have to stick together that's why i'm keeping all these images together uh you need to have the triune dance on one side you have you should have the twisted heart on the other side then you need to have the judge god on the other side and you need to have these pictures all in together to really understand what the gospel is let's add to this images one more image this royal throne into the mix of images of what all you are having here the royal throne okay so caesar who was having the highest throne on planet earth during the time of jesus used the symbol of cross which was the then instrument like electric chair or a noose are you getting what i'm saying don't miss the imagery so this guy is on the throne and he is a insecure guy and whenever he is feeling threatened by anyone who is challenging the throne he puts them to this torturous death which is the capital punishment of the day to die on the cross so to protect the throne he used the cross are you getting what i'm saying so for what were the terms what were what were the you know uh what were the terms of uh rome kingdom power glory kingdom power and glory right what was the term of greeks you know it is knowledge socrates plato any fellow with high intellect right knowledge so kingdom power glory knowledge this was the rome rome greek world right of the time of jesus and what was the what was the words running in in uh in the jewish mind kingdom power glory knowledge only we know god okay nobody else knows god we know the law nobody else know knows it kingdom power glory and knowledge were running in the mind of jewish world kingdom power glory were running knowledge were running in the time of rome and greek world so jesus comes what words does he use he uses the same words kingdom power glory knowledge but how did the jewish world understand messiah will come go fight with rome and sit on this throne thus establishing god's kingdom revealing god's power revealing god's glory and therefore the knowledge of god will come into all nations because he has violently removed caesar from his throne the messiah would fight establishing god's kingdom power and glory and rome is trying to protect its throne kingdom power and glory through the power of the cross so any time you speak any of these words kingdom power and glory you would be taken to the cross and put there that's how all the messiahs before jesus whoever claimed himself to the messiah to be the messiah got ripped apart on the cross so here is jesus coming into that world into the world of brokenness see how he uses history i want you to see that 
I want you to see that. Uh, and how he subverts the whole thing. And he says, yeah, are you the Messiah? Yes, I am the Messiah. Are you the king? Yes, I am the king. Do you have power? Yes, I have power. Do you have glory? Oh, yes, I have glory. So you are a king. You have a kingdom. You have power. You have glory. What are you here for? Are you here to challenge Caesar? No, I'm not here to challenge Caesar. I'm going to go to the cross. But Caesar himself is not taking you to the cross. Why are you voluntarily going to the cross? Yes, I'm going to go to the cross. I'll, you know, I'll be betrayed by my people. And they will hand, hand me over into Gentiles. And they will take me to the cross. But they are not doing it against my will. They are doing it because I want to do it that way. So now, both the worlds are confused. Are you getting what I'm saying? Caesar is not interested in fighting with a king who is not challenging him. So Jesus, if he is like, okay, come, I'm, I have an army, then Caesar is interested in fighting with Jesus. Uh, Pilate is like, I want to release Jesus. I want, I don't find any fault with him. I don't think, you know, that's, so Rome is also getting confused about why Jesus is moving the way he is moving. Jewish world is all the more confused. Oh, he says he's the Messiah, but he's not willing to fight with Caesar. He wants to go to the cross. So much so Peter rebukes him. He just revealed you are Christ. You are Christos. You are the anointed one. You are the Messiah. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, hey, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but the father from heaven. And Peter goes like, wow, 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 you know, you know, clap for me. And then immediately he says, uh, the son of man will be betrayed and he goes to the cross. And whenever he talked about the cross, whenever Jesus spoke about the cross, he said, but on the third day, he will rise. He will rise. So, see, see here. I want you to see this. Caesar protected the, used the cross to protect the throne. Jesus used the cross to step onto the throne. Are you getting what I'm saying? G Caesar was putting other people on the cross to protect his throne. But Jesus stepped onto the cross to put us on the throne. <laughs> I don't know whether you're seeing it. Caesar was protecting his throne by putting others on the cross. Jesus went to the cross so that he can put us on the throne. Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying? Are you understanding what I'm saying? So Jesus goes to the cross knowing fully well that on the third day he will rise again. What happened on the cross? Why did he cry? My God, my God, why did you forsake? All those things I've dealt the last two weeks. So I'm not going to go into that. I'm giving you the big picture. What is the big picture? Big picture is adoption. In Christ, everything has to be summed up. In Christ, everything has to be the fullness of God or should dwell in him bodily. And he should be the head. And through the body, the fullness has to manifest. This is the thought. Pre-creation purpose. Mankind messed up. Twisted. Got twisted. So much so, he is able to create an instrument like a cross. So evil is at its peak. And God steps into time, into flesh, into human history, when there is so much evil. And how he deals with it is by voluntarily submitting to it and saying, no matter how evil you turn out to be, I will still love you. I will not lose sight of my image in you. He never loses sight of who you are, no matter how messed up you are. He never loses sight of who you are in your darkest night. Yes, you are a diamond fallen in crap. Right? But you are still diamond. Just because you've fallen in crap and you have crap all over you doesn't make you something else. 
the truth of your being is that you are still a diamond. And God never loses sight of that. Therefore, he got into our mess. He got into our crap. He, he himself climbed onto the cross and said, Hey, nothing that you do will scare me. Nothing that you do will switch off my love for you. Nothing that you do is going to make me hate you. I am here to love you. Okay? And he dies. And on the third day, God raises him from the dead. God raises him from the dead. Guess what? The news of resurrection troubled Caesar so much. The news of resurrection troubled the Pharisees so much. It is the news. That's why resurrection is the gospel. If there is no resurrection, if the gospel ends at the story of the cross, then we have no gospel. See, that's what it says, right? In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14 and 17. I'm, I'm reading it from page 52. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Did he say that? If Christ is not risen, there is no gospel. Your faith is futile. Our preaching is empty and you are still in your sins. You are still in your sins. Why? Because cross doesn't achieve the pre-creation purpose. As much as it reveals the love of the Father, it has not achieved the pre-creation purpose. What is the pre-creation purpose? That you would partake of divine life. That you would partake of divine nature. That you would be a new creation living in, in relationship with the Father, reflecting the Father in nature, in love and power and glory. That cross doesn't achieve. Are you getting what I'm saying? Therefore, cross is not the gospel. Cross alone is not the gospel. Cross is, cross is God's violent, fierce love. See, cross reveals how God is violently non-violent. Are you getting what I'm saying? Cross reveals how God is violently non-violent. The greatest power is the power to love than somebody's power to hurt you. And that's the kind of power that the cross reveals. Yes, everything is true about whatever I said about the cross is wonderful, but it is not full gospel. Full gospel is resurrection. That's why we are not saved by putting our faith that Christ died for us. So many people died on the cross. Once the word has become flesh, okay, he also died on the cross. Even two thieves died on the cross, one on his left and one on his right. So him dying on the cross doesn't accomplish anything apart from the resurrection. That's why we are still in our sins if Christ is not risen. Are you getting what I'm saying? That, uh, you know, in the previous page, um, Romans 10, 9, right? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. So when you believe in God's resurrection, when you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, that is the saving power of the gospel. Why? Why resurrection is so important? Let me read from page 53. Uh, Romans 5.15, the Passion Translation. Now, there is no comparison between Adam's transgression and the grace, gracious gift that we experience. For the magnitude of the gift far outweighs the crime. It's true that many died because of one man's transgression, but how much greater will God's grace and his gracious gift of acceptance overflow to many because of what one man, Jesus the Messiah, did for us? So what did he do, basically? Hebrews 2, 14, 15, NLT. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. 
and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. So in dying our death, he broke the power of death. Are you getting what I'm telling? In dying our death, he broke the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. The fear of death was the reason of all kinds of bondage, right? So Caesar uses the cross and the fear of death grips people's heart. And they would bow their knee before Caesar. So now Christ has overcome the cross. We have an empty grave. And Christ says, behold, I am alive and I have the keys of Hades and death. I have overcome death. I am the resurrection. When that's the gospel, people were not afraid of death. People were not afraid of going to the cross. And so much life was manifesting in the first century Christians that many people take John, take Paul. They try to kill these guys so many times. But they just bonk, bonk, like a ball bouncing back. They kept coming back to life. They were not able to kill John. The resurrection life which overcame death. So that means now Caesar has no longer any instrument to scare any people. There is a higher power than the power of the cross. And there is a higher throne greater than the throne of Caesar. That is the gospel that the apostles preached. Are you getting what I'm telling? The gospel of the kingdom. See, I want to make a note here. See, the Jewish people were expecting a physical kingdom and a political messiah. Just like how today's rapture guys are believing for a physical kingdom and a political messiah. That's, that's a problem with the Jewish eschatology, right? So Jesus comes, he dies and he raises up, or God raises him up from the dead and he's on the throne. They don't accept that. Today's rapture guys are not accepting that as a very real kingdom. Let me tell you, just because he did not fight Caesar with violence, that doesn't mean he is not bothered about what's happening. When he took the highest throne, throne above all thrones, king above all kings, do you know Caesar's kingdom fell flat? It broke. Yeah. Herod's throne broke. Caesar's throne broke. Because why? When the rock hits, the entire statue crumbles down, starting from Babylon all the way to Rome. So the human political kingdom, which is through a twistedness of power and glory, which is greed, and the Jewish political agenda, religious agenda, right? Political messiah. So that's so the political spirit and the religious spirit, Herod and Pharisees. These are the two spirits, two beasts, beast from the land, beast from the sea. And the lamb on the throne, the slain lamb, crucified lamb on the throne challenges these two beasts. That's the book of Revelation. That's, 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 I gave you the eschatological seminar in one line right there. The crucified lamb, the slain lamb on the throne challenges the beast and overcomes the beast. Who is the beast? The political and the religious spirit. My time is up. Uh, you know, I tried to cover a few things, but I don't think uh, I can do everything. Hmm. Probably you register for the five-day course if you want to know more. And see,
ecclesia is God's vehicle to bring heaven on earth, to bring God's kingdom on earth. And Christ is the head of ecclesia and we are the body. And the fullness of the Godhead has to manifest through the body. And it will not manifest through an institutional church, which is just like kingdom power and glory like this or like this. Are you getting what I'm saying? An institutional church trying to build your own ministry, build your own empire. You want to do this, do that, do this. That is just a political agenda and a religious agenda. And God is not going to pour out his spirit on that. God is not going to pour out his spirit in institutional church. God will pour out his spirit in Ecclesia who is willing to follow the lamb. The followers of the lamb whose allegiance is to the lamb. Whose heart is guarded from the pull of this definition of kingdom, power and glory. Where your identity is twisted. But where your identity is only the father's love for you. You are manifesting as a huyos. Adoption. Huyothesia. And the fullness would start manifesting through such a body. And that's the gospel. And the creation is earnestly waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. For which, see, we don't understand resurrection and ascension. Only we talk about the cross. But the cross is a stepping stone to the throne. So resurrection and ascension, why of resurrection, why of ascension, people don't understand. The, the resurrection and ascension brings us to the original purpose that I first read about. The resurrection and ascension brings us to the throne, to the lap of the Father. Are you getting what I'm telling? And the Spirit is poured after the ascension. And the Spirit comes and lives in us. And through the Spirit, you know, the Father and the Son lives in us. So the triune God in their fullness dwells in us bodily right now through the Spirit. And what is the purpose of the Spirit? Is to reveal the Father. Is to reveal the Father. In our deeper places, the more and more we start knowing the Father, the life would start manifesting. The power would start manifesting. Glory would start manifesting. Then kingdom would be on earth. But you're not defined by the power. Because when you're defined by the power, it becomes your identity. That is Caesar. Are you getting what I'm feeling? That's a political spirit. That's how many people operating in power and gifts. They're trying to protect their ministry because they're not secure in their identity because they do not know the father. See, that's why Jesus says, finally, many will come in to me and say, in your name, we did this, we did that. And finally, I'll say, I do not know you. So the point is not manifestation of power for the sake of manifestation of power. It's about knowing him. When you know him, you will have power manifest. That's a byproduct, but that doesn't define you. Okay, there is much to say about everything that I've said. Uh, probably, I know I'm praying from here where to go next few weeks. Uh, but we really need to ask some serious questions on what is the gospel? What is the church? And what are we doing? Right? Based on what God has done in Christ Jesus. The gospel is that none of us know the Father, and Jesus knows the Father, and He is willing to share the knowledge with us. And the Spirit who is in us is willing to reveal the Father to us the same way the Spirit revealed the Father to Jesus. In the darkness. Thank you Lord. Thank you Father for this wonderful gospel. 
Thank you, Lord, for this glorious news of resurrection and ascension and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit through which the gospel is fulfilled. The resurrection, the ascension, and the Pentecost. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, for making us your flesh and blood, making us your own body, so that we receive the same pleroma, same fullness that flows in and through us. In Jesus' name. See, when you understand the gospel, everything is a byproduct. Generosity is a byproduct. Loving your hus husband, loving your wife, loving your kids, uh, loving your uh, creative, uh, you know, job, being creative, being excellent in your job. Everything becomes a byproduct. Everything flows out of you. Generosity flows out of you. You don't need tricks. You don't need manipulation. You don't. You don't succumb to all these manipulations. From your heart, you would start living. From your heart, you would start giving. May you experience such a life. May you experience such a giving. May you, may you experience the influence, divine influence upon your heart and you live from that place. God bless you. We'll be winding off the registrations this week. So please register soon.